<laughs> Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions of My Donkeys podcast. Pay no attention as to why I'm laughing. That won't make the cut. Uh, I'm Joe, and with me today is Liam motherfucking Anderson, returning champion and one of the hosts of Well, There's Your Problem. The What's People's up, Champ. Uh, here to reclaim my championship belt. How tall is Nate? I don't know. I've never met him in person. Okay, we'll say he's 5'8". Uh, you know, right. There are some stereotypes that are hurtful facts. I assume Nate is five feet tall. Uh, Nate, I'm coming for you, baby. I know both Nick and I are, are about six three. I I'm six I'm six two. <laughs> <laughs> we could I don't know. I'll like I said last episode. I was almost I'll stand on your shoulders and we'll uh, retake Istanbul by ourselves. It will Voltron together and create <laughs> our own state. Um, <laughs> you know I think um, last time you were on the show. I gave you a choice between talking about the Jewish Avengers or talking about what we're talking about today, uh, because obviously I'm a huge fan of your podcast and you guys talk about the Kursk. Um, so you, you, you've already listened to what I think is two hours of insane submarine shit. So we're going to do that again today. Uh, you talked about the Kursk, which was a Soviet and then Russian sub, uh, before it exploded and killed everybody or imploded, whatever. Poor poor Lieutenant Kebab. He lost his legs. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it, it, it kind of blew itself up, right? Like that's like the, that's the lesson that I, I got from that, uh, episode. Don't defer your maintenance kids. I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. So we're going to talk about something else that happened. Uh, so after listening to, um, Kursk, we're sitting through Kursk and making that episode. How's your feels on the concepts of being stuck in a submarine? Not great, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm glad you asked, but not great. I, uh, you know, for the longest time, I actually wanted to join the Navy, uh, the only legitimate branch of the United States military. Uh, And and I just like, and I got talked out of it by my, A, I was a chubby kid, B, I have psychiatric issues, but like, my dad was like, all right, look at you. You fucking think this is going to sit well underwater for 12 months with a bunch of dudes? And I was <laughs> like, oh, you're probably right. Yeah, I I don't have, like, claustrophobia or anything. Uh, I'm not, like, especially great in tight spaces. They don't bother me, right? Like, I was trapped on an elevator, um, like, seven, eight years ago now in Toronto. And we were in there for about 45 minutes. And it wasn't until the end where I was just like, oh, mother, like, this is actually genuinely brutal. Uh, but yeah, just being crammed under the sea with a bunch of dudes, like, nah, nah, that ain't me. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't say it's for the claustrophobia part because I was a tank crewman, but like the concept of being locked in a tube that, you know, could just mysteriously crush and murder you at virtually any point if any small thing goes wrong always terrified me. Um, I've never met a submariner. Uh, but I assume they have to be kind of weird. My grandfather was a submariner during World War II, and by all accounts, was a weird guy. Not a like like at least for part of World War II. And then he was uh uh in the it it, it working on the Manhattan Project, honestly. But yeah, he he just like weird guy by all accounts. Like like you know how all goalies in hockey are kind of strange. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. The, nobody ever talks about the uh, the the submariner to to goalie pipeline. pipeline. <laughs> um, and you know it's weird because we are going to be talking about uh, World War One and World War Two today, uh, but mostly World War Two. And it wasn't really until 
post-World War II, where subs kind of weren't death traps and routinely murdered themselves. Uh, Though, depending on where you happen to be conscripted or enlisted uh, to be a submariner, that might still be happening to you today. Uh, so sorry, <laughs> uh, Submariners, not a monolith, but uh, you know, for the early history of subs, and we've talked about uh, like U-boats and Civil War submarines um, a lot, and they all sound really, really bad. Um, but American submarines, not much better. Uh, they were like it seems to be the quality of life for an American submariner was much better than a U-boat crewman. Sure. Uh, that is mostly due to like just not having a lack of resources due to losing a war <laughs> and not having the entire world trying to blow you up all at once, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, subs at the time were pretty shockingly low tech things, even in comparison to what they were firing, which was, you know, torpedoes, which is mostly what we're talking about today. Though they did have deck guns um, because, like, in. Um, early sub uh, submarine doctrine was to mostly use your deck guns um, because you're supposed to surface and then let people uh, surrender. Ambush. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also because, you know, every once in a while during world war one, if you fired a torpedo, you would sink. Um, I mean, sink more than you should yeah, die. Cause you're a submariner. Um, so like the, the accelerated, the- accelerated uh, diving. <laughs> I, I guess it would just be uncontrolled sinking. I don't know. Um, it's, it's like a water landing on a plane. Like, you could just say plane crash. I don't, <laughs> I don't need you to dress this up for me. Um, now, even during World War I, s- torpedoes were the real first fire and forget somewhat guided weapon in use. Uh, some of these kind of sucked because it is World War I. Um, it's like a lot of the, the, the cutting edge technology that came out in World War One that set the stage for truly groundbreaking stuff later on. Kind of suffered from growing pains. A great example of that is the tank. They killed their own crewmans a lot uh, in World War One, and also they went five miles an hour and sucked. Uh, oh, but yeah. They were, they, and were, they're, they're also hideous to look at. I like, would like counter that the Mark V it looks cool as shit in a like a weird steampunk thing. It's like just a, it's a tra- it's an angry set of tracks. Joe, are you on drugs? Uh, currently, no. <laughs> okay, just checking. What if we gave uh, an eggplant tracks? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like it's a. What if a trapezoid could kill you? <laughs> Should have studied uh, trigonometry harder. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the torpedoes in World War One were revolutionary. You could, um, they had like a gyro mechanical angle calculator um, that you could set. And when you fired it, it would arc in the direction of travel where you would believe that, you know, a transport or cargo ship or whatever is going. Um, so you could fire it and it would track down the target and, hopefully hit it and blow it up. Um, it was incredibly hard to actually do this and the ability to do it uh, like on the, the torpedoes uh, internal mechanisms was actually invented before a calculator uh, that could calculate it quickly. So it was actually up to the captain and the gunner to just be really good at math. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, roll the dice, right? Uh, now, most nations after World War One 
let their submarine fleet just kind of rust and go to shit. Um, it, you know, obviously people believe that it was the war to end all wars is never going to happen again, but also just incredible economic devastation made, you know, R and D for a submarine fleet kind of hard. Um, sure. even the U S which escaped from world war one very, very well. Uh, and also, you know, incredibly rich did not spend money on their submarines. Um, but this did not actually mean that they stopped trying to come up with new stuff on a shoestring budget, which, as we both know uh, from your podcast and mine, never could possibly go wrong. Uh, so you see this dinghy, right? Now, what I want to do is put a 50 cal on it, and then we're going to give it some ballast, right? And we're going to put on one of those old-timey divey suits, and we're going to go beneath the sea, everybody. <laughs> I, I do love seeing uh, on the on the Sus- uh, the Jesus Christ the Skuko River and Billy. Every so often, you'll see the Coast Guard with one of their fifty cal dinghies. You're just like, this is a bit much, boys. You like- see those here too. Yeah, they they're not quite dinghies here because you have to worry about like the open ocean. But they're like a armed bass boat kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically what we got. I'm just like, all right, like you guys can can reel this in a little for me. Uh, we are operating under the assumption that no one will shoot at us. Otherwise, we're fucked. <laughs> we have a 50 cal. <laughs> and that is, it, it was one of those things that they knew that their old torpedo, the Mark 10, which was uh, from World War I, uh, that, that operated on alcohol and steam for propulsion. <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was pretty r- normal for submariners to drink the, the torpedo fluid. I don't know if they can, but if I learned oh, anything... Like windshield fluid. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like uh, the if, if, if I learned anything from months of researching uh, the Soviet military during the Afghan war is if you put alcohol in something and even make it so it will kill soldiers they'll still drink it. You gotta find so, a way, man. Listen, that's that's a very human need when you're getting shot at. Yeah, especially when you're just the, the depressing existence of being stuffed into a submarine, right? It's like, I'm going to get fucked up and help this. Um, uh, also, this, uh, uh, this, this torpedo sucked. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, uh, obviously, the U.S. did not participate in World War I very, for very long, uh, and their submarines an even shorter amount of time. But they did learn that the Mark 10 had a horrible problem of shooting fire out of it um, when it launched, which is a problem if you happen to be in the submarine and want to live. Uh, Fires in submarine, very, very bad. So in 1926, the U.S. Bureau of Ordnance, which is known as the Buord, which I hate. um, Yeah. Don't like that. Yeah. They they knew that they needed a new uh, torpedo. The Mark 10 uh, was developed and fielded within like less than a year, <laughs> which is never a good idea. So they're like, okay, we need something better. Yeah, but, no, you're all the beta testers now. But I don't want to spend a lot of money, right? It's like the guy that goes to buy a used car, but has like 500 bucks. Like you're going to get a piece of shit and that's the only thing you can afford. Yeah. Um, I, I can say that as someone who has done that at least twice. Um. So they teamed up with General Electric and a few other companies to split the cost, and uh, <laughs> which is incredible, right? Uh, and, and met together at the Newport Torpedo Station 
uh, to develop the Mark 14. Now, the Mark 14 was a big fucking torpedo. It was 21 feet long, 21 inches in diameter, and weighed over 3,000 pounds apiece. Now, one of the key things that the Buord asked for was that, well... We'll keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like in every document I found, everybody calls it the Buord, and I hate, hate it. Hate that. Hate that. Go on. They're like, well, if World War I taught us anything, it is... You know, when wartime economy hits, these are going to have to be built in like literally any factory by any idiot that works in them that does not qualify for military service. Maybe it, like the most unskilled labor that you can possibly think of needs to be able to put this torpedo together, right? Right. Uh, they just dis- disregard that entirely. <laughs> cool. Okay, great. So it was powered by steam uh, uh, and uh, the electronics that made the torpedo work. Uh, were probably the most advanced thing in the Navy at the time in 1926. Uh, it required very skilled labor and uh, some of the, the most, spe- uh, most specific kinds of electronic assembly work that could only be made in one specific area at the time. Um, now, on top of all of this was the one thing that made the torpedo like hypothetically like the golden ticket, right? Like it's going to be the best torpedo in the world. And that was oh, yeah. the Mark six exploder that went on the, the tip of it. Was um, it really called the exploder? Yes. The no, word exploder is used a lot in torpedo world, apparently. And I love I like it. that. I like that. I'm happy with that. Now, uh, in submarine warfare, uh, the best thing you can do is fire a torpedo and have it explode directly under the middle of the ship. Uh, the idea was this explosion would break the ship's keel, which I guess in ship speak is like its spine, causing it to split in half and sink. Um, Great. Now, this shot is obviously very hard to pull off uh, on a moving ship that is running away from a submarine, right? Right. Um, So the Mark VI exploder's entire job was to make that much, much easier. Now, as a whole, the Mark XIV uh, was to be aimed with the, the same kind of I would say the same kind of gyro system as World War One's Mark 10, but much, much better. Right. Uh, it, it, you didn't need like an incredibly weird calculator to, to set it. They, you they need to did fix trig that as you were getting fired at shore. Yes. Um, so it would be equipped with the exploder. So you would fire the torpedo. It would curve towards its target. Right. Um, and, and the idea was you'd fire it. So then you could get the fuck out of there. Um, because you know, at the time, especially the Mark 14, which would later be fixed with the Mark 18, um, since it's propelled by steam, it, it's like firing a, an RPG. It just leaves a giant fucking trail going right back to where you fired it. Like, look, it came from that way. So, like, you need to be able to get the fuck out of there after you fire it or you're going to get blown up. Now, this exploder was based on a very, very uh, good and proven British and German magnetic influence device. Uh, the exploder would be triggered by the steel hull of a ship as it passed directly beneath it. This is so it would pass directly near the keel and then explode uh, because it would sense the steel. Um, so, and it also back then, uh, that was the one place that ships really didn't have armor. Uh, they assumed if you'd hit a mine, you'd hit it with the front of the ship uh, or higher up, right? Um, if you got broadsided or whatever. So there are obvious other situations where you would want to use torpedoes or um, you know how they could or, or, or would act if you fired them. Say you missed, right? What if it doesn't hit the keel? Then what? Sure. 
what if, I don't know, it goes too deep and it explodes and doesn't do any damage at all? These are all very important questions, and they're all very important questions that the BU Award decided were not that important. <laughs> now, they thought that this exploder is obviously flawless, and then it would just simply work every time. That's all we need to worry about. Uh, so the idea of you know blowing up the keel of a ship, it's unarmored. Uh, we don't need that, ex- that, many, that much explosive. Uh, so it's, we're going to put a, a very small, some people call it a moderate amount of explosives in the torpedo itself, because that's all you need to break the keel of a ship. Um, you can already kind of see where this is going to be bad. Oh, boy. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. it gets worse. Um, this is when it came time for testing. They decided they didn't want to do that either. <laughs> Come on, man. And honestly, I have been. I, I, guys, I kind of admire that, though. Like the dedication to cutting corners. I, like it really does seem as we go on that the Bu Ord um, actively hated Submariners. Um, because yes, I've yes, never get seen. The death tube, get the death tube. Hurry up. Really? Yeah. Come on. In boys. Even like, cause we did uh, an episode a long, long time ago about the M16, right? I remember um, that. And that is, that's pretty bad. Um, but it doesn't seem that it has such disregard for like, for testing and safety. It was sabotaged. So like right. they knew what they, they knew what they were doing. Right. <laughs> the, the, which is obviously very, very bad. Um, but you kind of like, it's, it's, it's much different than just simply not giving a fuck. Because obviously, I mean, it's the government. They don't actually care about the lives of the people of, of where they put these weapons. Otherwise, they wouldn't do war. Um, but it, so they did one test, <laughs> which I, I like that. I think is the least amount of testing anybody's ever done before fielding a weapon. Um, so it was one test. It was carried out with two torpedoes and, and it was fired on an old derelict sub uh, on May of 1926. Uh, you want a guess of how successful these tests are? Wildly, absolutely wildly successful. I will not hear. I will not hear anything to the contrary. <laughs> You're doing one test with two torpedoes, right? Like at this point, it actually should be kind of hard to fail the tests because you know, like the M16 passed its first tests because they were fudged. Like, no, we're going to fire it in a very specific, clean manner, so it can't possibly fail. Like, this is kind of what I expected. Like, maybe they'll park the derelict sub right on the nose of the other sub. So, like, you're just point blanking it with the torpedoes and you can't possibly miss. Um, so, that one torpedo ran under the target and did not explode. And the other one worked. So, at a 50% success rate. That's not bad. That's not bad. That rounds up to 100 yeah, and the Bu Award decided that's, eh, that's good. That's good. That's good. We're in a war, boys. Let's do it. Uh, well, they're not yet. It's t- 1926. No, we're in a war, boys. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> they got like over a decade to figure this out. Like yeah, now we're no, good. We're in a war. We're in a war. What if we got it? If we got to bombard? I don't know Mexico. Wrap, wrap it up. We're done. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, with a 50 percent insane th- dude. It's so, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> It's you so want to guess what, when the next, how long it would be until the next testing would be done on these torpedoes? No, uh, give me like 1939. 1942. Jesus <laughs> fuck. <laughs> wow. And I was just like, 13 years, you because know, I know the U.S. government is incredibly incompetent. So 13 years seems like a wildly too long time. And no, of course it's worse. It's actually dumber than that, but we'll get there. Um, oh, now. 
you would assume that with a torpedo that fails literally at the flip of a coin uh, and hardly works, it would at least be cheap, right? I would hope, right? Like, if I could make <laughs> 10 that oh, it's not cheap, is it? God damn it, Joe. <laughs> so the goal was to make each torpedo cost around $1,000. Okay. Um, it's not which, bad, I guess. It's it's pricey for the day, but it's I actually mean, the quite cheap. the same that built the F-35. Like, yeah, who gives a shit? Is, Money's not real. To be fair, this is before things got that stupid uh, because the government still has oversight over these companies. Right. But it turns out their oversight is just very, very bad. Um, so once you added in the exploder, the, the slight fixes they had to get to even get it to work 50% of the time, and then all of the, the problems they were having with it, getting it to work even to that level, they end up costing around $10,000 a piece, which, as you can tell, is oh, a cost overrun of 10 times. Yeah, that's, that's bad. <laughs> Uh, so for comparison, at the same time, that is five times more than a new car uh, during the same time frame. Yeah, but the car doesn't have a part called the exploder. I mean, I guess the internal combustion engine. I mean, it is but a car in 1926. You, you might be able to call the entire thing an exploder. Hey, man, listen, the, the lightweight, lightweight is good. Uh, so it, with inflation, uh, each one of these torpedoes would cost around $200,000 in today's Holy money. Shit. Yeah. Which, I mean, doesn't sound that ex- that expensive when you compare it to, like, I don't know, like, us any smart bomb. But if you think about it, how much would that smart bomb cost if you started off with a floor cost of $200,000 a piece? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, uh, whoops, fucked up. It's a half billion now. Sorry, buddy. And we'll just be taking our, and we'll just be taking our no-bid contract and disappearing into the never you mind. For uh, comparison, uh, an M4 on contract from the government, uh, which is honestly is more high tech than this torpedo, uh, costs around 400 bucks. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now, uh, some of these engineers weren't bad at their jobs. They simply did what the government asked them. And then when they tested it and the government actually told them it's good to go, they're like, oh, wait, hold on. What? Like we have all we of these just problems. Told you it's broken. <laughs> we we literally did these tests to prove it to you. <laughs> like imagine any other thing that like you would be given at a anything like a, a fucking Xbox with a fifty percent fail rate. Like there'd be a class action lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, it's so bad. That's just so bad. I'm expecting Tesla to make this fucking torpedo. Oh, don't do that. That's some podcast energy right there, baby. I, I have, I listen. <laughs> Kylie Jenner went through the tunnel, and I just have like, and I have nothing against the uh, Kardashians, really. Uh, I know they're heroes of your people, but uh, <laughs> they're the only Armenians who are allowed to badmouth on the show. <laughs> but it's just like, yep, it's a tunnel. You're a genius, Elon. You've done it. You've reinvented the wheel. Like, <laughs> what if oh, we come made, on, man? What if we made a tunnel? That was more dangerous than any car tunnels, but made it in TikTok lighting. All right. So <laughs> we modeled this after Soleil. Now, if you've never heard about that, it's <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're calling it uh, uh, Soleil 2 and we're putting it in Van Nuys, California for some reason. <laughs> now, <laughs> like I said, the engineers were pretty concerned. Uh, mo- a lot of their concern was with the Mark 6 exploder. Um, obviously, it worked. It was a marvel of technology if it worked correctly and the engineers were trying desperately to get it work to get to work correctly however they came up with one very specific flaw that it was actually too good at its job of sensing uh 
steel and like being pulled with magnets and stuff like that, right? Um, because it was picking up variations of the Earth's magnetic field. No. which means every time you fired it it would act differently depending on how deep you were and where you were in the world (laughs) oh my god dude no if we don't know what they're shooting at how can they know what we're shooting at it's like i made the joke before about flipping a coin and seeing if it worked but quite literally like you're flipping a coin and the torpedo's like, oh, too close to the earth. Gonna kill you. Now, at this point, that they didn't theorize that it would be so bad it could possibly murder its own crew, but we'll get to that point. Um, we're still... Um, now, engineers or like, especially submarine crewmen, right, um, that wanted to work on these things, because it's pretty, it's pretty apparent very early on, like, these things kind of suck. Uh, and soldiers... Oh, just a little. Or, seamen at the time uh were rules weren't so strict right um they could tinker with things that didn't work just fuck around with giant explosive torpedoes nobody really gave a shit right uh and the Buord was kind of worried about that which i mean admittedly rightfully so <laughs> don't let seamen fuck around with explosives yeah fair enough um so even engineers like that worked in munitions couldn't fuck with this thing. The exploder was considered a closely guarded state secret, so much so that maintenance and operating manuals had been written but were never printed or distributed. <laughs> Christ. Is your sub cuz like later on when the, it becomes very obvious that the 100% it's at fault of the torpedo. Uh, the Buord would then blame submariners for not doing correct maintenance, and they're like, "We fucking can't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. You don't know what we're doing. None of us know what we're doing." And we- that is pretty much what happened. Um, the Mark Six worked entirely well in some places, and not in all in others. Um, That's insane. I just that. What a, it's it's like when we uh we crashed I think a lunar rover because we accidentally did it in miles instead of kilometers. Yeah, yeah. God, that was stupid. Um, or like there's like one decimal point off somewhere and just fucking exploded it. Um. So like I said before, like the exploder is so sensitive; it's picking up the Earth's magnetic field. So how do you think it's going to pick up a ship? Really, really well, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that led to them exploding before they even got to the target. <laughs> That's <It's> like, ex- <laughs> I mean, so it makes it harder to steer, I guess. You can't see where the this torpedo is coming from if it explodes before it gets to you. Um, so, like, they saw a problem where they were firing it during training. And then later on during actual war, they're like, wow, that exploded like 100 feet early. That's not going to do us any good. Uh, in other cases, it would just thump off the side of a target ship and not explode. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, another huge problem um, was that the torpedo would dive way too low. Uh, it would run off the target and go, like they call it diving too deep or whatever. Right. And then either not explode at all and just continue on to the depths of the ocean or explode 20 feet Scar- way too scaring, low. Scaring the shit out of some of those creepy lantern fish. Those poor guys. <laughs> guys, stop throwing torpedoes down here. We know that we're a sin against God and nature. <laughs> leave, us, leave us alone, goddammit. So 
In one case in 1943, there's a guy named Lieutenant Dan Daspit. Uh, he was the commander of the USS Tenosa. He fired all but one of uh, the ship's torpedoes at a Japanese tanker, the Tonmaru 3. So out of 15 torpedoes, oh, only boy. two detonated. Oh. And those blew up before they hit the ship. Come on. When he got back to Pearl Harbor, he had one torpedo that he did not fire, and it was taken from his uh, sub and examined and found to be in perfect working order. The problem, of course, being perfect working order is still broke as it's fuck. It's still broken. <laughs> yeah. uh, this was, uh, but Daspit was not alone. This shit was happening all over the place, and as soon as the torpedo was used in the war, everybody quickly found out that it didn't work for shit. Uh, just a week after the attack in Pearl Harbor, the USS Seawolf fired eight torpedoes off the coast of the Philippines, and one actually went on target. Wow. Hey, it hit. It hit. Reel it in, boys. We're done here. It did its job. When it impacted, it didn't explode. For God's sakes, man. I, was, <laughs> I had such high hopes. In the uh, first m- few I'm months the worst of the war. In the world. <laughs> So in the first couple months of the war, American subs fired 93 torpedoes at enemy shipping. Now, to be fair, most of these torpedoes were fired at shipping, like cargo ships. They couldn't sure. shoot back for the most part. Um, only three ships were sunk. Forget. Uh, uh, oh, jeez. By mid-1942, more than 800 <laughs> torpedoes had been used in the Pacific War. You want to you guess how often they failed? Uh, give me a 95% failure rate. I know you're trying to be, uh, sensational, but it was 80%. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> see, well, that's, there you go. I did it. It's worse than the test. Granted, they, they fired two torpedoes for testing, but still like, yeah, 80% failure rate. Um, some failed to explode, uh, while others still aimed like they were supposed to simply miss or would run under their target. Several blew up before hitting the set of Japanese ships, and you know not only was that bad, but it led to them immediately being fired upon, <laughs> and many ship and, and many subs yeah. died this way. Oh yeah. God! Now, if imagine, think- although imagine how happy you'd be when you actually sang something. Yeah, like against all odds, this fucker yeah, actually right? worked. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! We did it. We could go home now. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're thinking that the navy was understanding that their subs had been armed with a giant piece of shit. Of course they weren't. They blamed their own captains and gunners, saying they were simply couldn't aim for shit. Um, that was not the case. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, that's kind of what ha- happened. Like, the BU Award would be like, well, clearly it's working. We're still sinking subs. You guys just suck at shooting. But one admiral did not buy this. He was like, look, I get that some people are bad at their jobs, but... This would this would require accepting that the vast majority of our submarine fleet is incompetent, and that's kind of steep, right? Um, so Admiral James Lockwood took a bunch of torpedoes and carried out his own unofficial test off the coast of Australia. Um, he fired six torpedoes at an underwater net, meaning this unofficial test rallied together by some random admiral was more of a test than the first test that actually fielded this thing. Christ. Oh, my he- God. Oh my he found, god, dude. <laughs> this he is found so bad. at best when torpedoes still functioned, they ran ten or fifteen feet below their set gauge. This effectively made them useless. Alright, so just um, reset the gauge, it's fine. 
Who cares? Well, <laughs> that is one of the fixes he immediately Fire told people up, to boys. do. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Hope look, you, you remember just all that trigonometry. <laughs> just aim up, bro. Uh, now, this forced the Bue Award to carry out an actual official test in 1942. After being used in a war for years. That's <laughs> so fucking grim. What they discovered was dumber than everybody what everybody originally thought. Um, so at one point, subcommanders pointed out how bad it was to only have a magnetic exploder and demanded not only a larger payload, but a contact exploder as well. Understandable. Yes, that's 100% <laughs> like the first thing I was reading about when I was reading about the Mark 14 was like, wow, that seems like they're really missing a point here. Like, what if we have to hit the fucker directly? Or what if I do hit the fucker directly? You know, and, and I mean, that is how admirals had largely been training their crew, right? Is like, hit the fucking ship. <laughs> right. Understandable. You, you, um, you usually want to uh, sink the ship by hitting it. Or so I would think, but I guess I'm just a crazy person. Yeah, uh, clearly we're uh, sub-amateurs here. Um, so the Buor did. They're like, fine, whatever. We'll give you your contact tip, and we'll give you hundreds of pounds of more explosive. You want to guess what they didn't do after that? What's that? Change anything else about the nice. torpedo. Nice. So they made it significantly heavier, and then did not change the propulsion or gyro systems at all. <laughs> Sweet. Good. Great. <laughs> so... Uh, and this, this of course, led it to fail nearly 100% of the time. Also, that 50% test that I told you about was done before adding the contact exploder and the additional explosives. So after doing that, it was never tested. Um, <laughs> like, when Lockwood carried out the tests, he noticed, like, weird. It seems to be, like, uh, the tip and the tail of the torpedo kind of waggled as it went. Like completely like shimmying like in the water. Like <laughs> After all, who doesn't want their tor- what is a tor- what is a dog other than a really furry torpedo, right? Yeah. Aw. <laughs> you just get a cute little face on it. If you're the Soviets, kinda for tanks, right? Um now, remember the contact exploder? That's like, yeah, obviously you want that. Another problem. It also didn't work. Remember, because they're hitting the ships and it's not exploding. So, like, every portion of this torpedo is failing, right? Right. But they fixed... So they they worked on some things, but it did not fix the erratic gyro mechanism that was making them fly wildly off course. uh, Or the random explosions, which they didn't fix that either, because that was was the exploder causing that. Which were still happening all the time. um, Because after the small fixes that were made, sub-captains continued to write in their logs... Motherfucker didn't work right. Motherfucker didn't work oh, like no? it's ex- <laughs> no, but we have fixes. So the bureau did the adult thing, and the thing we probably all assumed they would eventually do again, and that is refuse to accept that there was anything wrong with their torpedo Hell at all. Oh yeah, that's right. Just plow ahead like nothing's wrong, baby. I love that shit. Uh, at this point, America number one. <laughs> I, it was working, kind of, uh, by sheer saturation of torpedoes. They were sinking a lot of Japanese ships. Uh, I would like to think that, like, a lot of the ships that the uh, that the American subs were sinking were just like Wiley Coyote punching a hole directly through a wall, but with a with a torpedo. Um, now, at this point, this was no longer a B ward thing or uh, something that uh, admirals knew about. 
ever went down to like everyday Samaritans knew that the sub that the that the fucking torpedoes didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knew that the weapon was shit, and it was something of an open secret. Uh, and commanders began to try to get around it. Lockwood requested permission to disconnect the magnetic exploder from the torpedo because even though the contact exploder didn't work great, it at least would hit the fucking target and give it a better chance. Um, the Buord refused to allow them to do that. Oh, cool. The, Why? Uh, the, Why? <laughs> reasons. Uh, we, it's the sunk cost fallacy, but yeah, it kills people. Okay, that's all right. Uh, the submarine crews were then forbidden to do anything beyond regular maintenance of the torpedoes, which remember they could not do. <laughs> they were told not to touch the Mark Six exploders in any way, and to further prevent unauthorized tampering, the Buord ordered that the sub-base torpedo shop apply dabs of blue paint to the screws that held the exploder mechanism to the torpedo body. Of course, this meant the Buord never met any fucking enlisted people in their entire life because the only thing that happened was the Submariners bribed the members of the the torpedo shop who were also enlisted sailors for the most part with tobacco and booze to get a can of paint the same color so they could fuck with it and then repaint them. I like that. No, I really like that. Good job, boys. That's American. That's what won us the war. That's American ingenuity and it won us the war. (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, like when I first read about the paint, I'm like, oh, soldiers are just going to fucking figure out a different paint color and fuck it up anyway. Or they're just like, it's going to be an open secret that their captain just won't report them for, which also didn't happen. Um, Lockwood and eventually a few other naval commanders would get involved. And this would eventually turn to a political dick measuring competition between the Buord and the poor bastards who actually had to use this fucking thing. Um, This eventually ended with the Buord relenting on the rule about disconnecting the magnetic exploder, but it didn't solve just all of the other problems, uh, specifically why the contact exploder wasn't working. Now, enter a crazy person, but legendary submariner, a guy named Charles Momsen, who is known as the Swede. Um, now, he was contacted specifically because Lockwood knew he didn't really care about politics or the chain of command. And he had a bit of a reputation about telling people who outranked him to go fuck themselves. Nice. Uh, He also was known as being a great engineer uh, on top of being a submarine commander. Like he invented the Momsen lung, which was like a breathing apparatus that submariners could use in order to escape uh, a dying submarine. Um, And it worked. Um, so like he was very, very good. People respected him. So like, well, if we bring Momsen in, maybe the B word will listen to him. Cause like the Momsen lung got distributed. So clearly they trust this guy. Right. So right. Momsen did this in the craziest way possible. He attended a live firing of the torpedoes. And when one failed, he simply dove into the water to check it out, Holy finding sh- it to be <laughs> fuck. <laughs> just fucking with very recently fired unexploded ordnance. Uh, he found that the torpedo had snapped in half, and he took the unexploded Whoa. ordnance back Christ. with him to Pearl Harbor. Um, now, after fucking with it a bit more, he found the contact exploder, which was like this pin. Uh, like when the contact hit, it would cause the pin to drive back, triggering the explosives. Right? It was supposed to. It was supposed to be like a revolutionary, quick functioning technology, but it was way too delicate. Uh, so what would happen is. Contact exploder would hit, and then it would break, and then it just wouldn't explode. Cool. With a, with right. a head-on Ideal. explosion. Ideal. <laughs> uh, this was... Uh, Momsen further tested this in the coolest way possible. 
He uh, slid an active torpedo warhead filled with sand and a live exploder down a cable from a ninety foot cherry picker crane onto a steel plate out in the middle of the out the middle what of the, the desert. <laughs> Just like I'm gonna drop some fucking torpedoes from this goddamn crane and see what happens. <laughs> to be fair, that's basically how we did Trinity. So yeah, yeah. I mean, science back then was way cooler. Um, Let's kick it overboard. Whatever, man. This was to simulate a head-on, like if if you were to fire, like if you were to fire your torpedoes, like a a broadside, a ninety-degree uh, hit, which is how people were trained to do at the time. Seventy uh, percent of the exploders failed uh, when he did it this way. Now, this is a problem in no, in more ways than one. Uh, most mostly being that the torpedoes weren't working, but. Um, the torpedo captains and gunners have been trained that this is the best way to attack a target. So this is the way everyone is attacking, meaning that the very way that they are attacking made sure the torpedoes wouldn't work. Oh, God. The best part is that the Bureau still didn't fucking buy it. Why? (laughs) Why? Instead of taking Momsen's word, they went to Princeton to visit a professor by the name of Albert fucking Einstein. Oh my god, wasting his time. Is there, we're dick deep in pile one at this point. Like, Oh, don't worry, Albert Einstein took one look at Momsen's work and he's like, yeah, it looks like your exploder's too delicate and, and it's breaking with head-on collisions. So they finally <sighs> agreed to change the exploder. <laughs> Huh. We lost can, Einstein. We gotta change the torpedo. You can you can thank the Jews once again. But rapid fielding of a new torpedo would take a year or more to do. Uh, so like that's that's a lot in wartime, right? Uh, until then, they simply ordered everyone to shoot the torpedo at a different angle, uh, which is like how Momsen got the fucker to work. Is if the torpedo hit. At an angle, the contact exploder would work. Right. Now, this did nothing to fix the wildly suicidally inaccurate gyro aboard the torpedo. And this is where we get into a little story I like to call how a whole bunch of American submarines sank themselves. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Enter the USS Tullaby. So the Tullaby was a uh, Gato-class sub that carried 24 Mark 14 submarines. Uh, the the Tullaby was kind of an unfortunate sub uh, from the time it was laid down to the time it actually went to war. Didn't have the greatest luck um, from like it's um, it's field testing or sea sea trials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found out that uh, it just kept being having air leaks. <laughs> uh, it's a problem. That's bad, right? I've heard that's bad. If you're in a sub, I would be concerned about that. We need yeah, um, all the air goes inside, guys. That's how we live. Now they <laughs> air stays in, water stays out. Any deviation from this is a problem. If you're in a submarine, <laughs> there you go. That's all submariner school. We got it. Everybody on the boat. <laughs> you're welcome. Sign up today for your Legion of the Old Crows Submariner certificate. <laughs> Uh, I will actually do that if someone has a template. Just copy and paste your name in. You can be a Submariner in the Legion of the Old Crow. spelled wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Like the S is backwards or something. Um, So these problems were eventually ironed out to the point it wouldn't actively kill everybody, and they end up going on several combat patrols. Uh, uh, So it was laid down in like 1943, 
Uh, if you notice, that is a year after they started finally testing these subs. They are still uh, outfitted with these, uh, or started out uh, testing those torpedoes. It is now still outfitted with those torpedoes. Um, and after about a year of combat service in March of 1944, which, by the way, still have those torpedoes. Oh, we're timely. Uh, we're timely here. Yeah. It was sent from Pearl Harbor to Midway to refuel and then off to its fourth combat patrol. Their mission was to head north of uh, Palalu Islands and take part in the operation there against the Japanese Imperial Navy. Uh, but then it vanished and nobody ever saw it again. <laughs> now, um, this actually happens with frightening regularity with subs. They, it, it's pretty common for them to travel alone. And if something horrible was to happen, there's you know, no good way to escape that motherfucker. You just die. Um, no Japanese messages were intercepted saying they had sunk the sub. Uh, so the U.S. assumed it was lost to enemy fire or maybe a mine uh, because, you know, if it hit a mine and sank, nobody would ever say anything about it. Right. And nobody would probably say anything else because it's not like you're going to go retrieve their logs, figure out what happened because it's a fucking sub. It's about the Pacific Ocean. Who knows how many goddamn ships are out there we don't know about, right? Uh, but one guy managed to survive. Um, Cliff... Uh, Koikendale? Koikendale? Uh, very strange last name. I'll call him Cliff. He was a gunner's mate aboard the mm-hmm. Tullaby. Uh, he fired two torpedoes at a Japanese ship and said that the sub had been rocked immediately afterward by an explosion so large he was literally ripped from the sub and thrown clear of its wreckage into the Pacific Ocean. Holy um, shit. I don't know how he survives this, but he is the only survivor confirmed from the Tullaby. Uh, he was on its roster, so like he, we know he's not making it up. And then he was uh, picked up by the Japanese and tortured as a POW for the next 17 months. Um, like at one point, he was chained to a tree uh, on Palalu Islands as the, the U.S. bombed it. <laughs> Man, just survive all that. Good for you, Cliffy. Way to go. Nice. Way to go, Cliff. We're proud of you. Honorary yeah. lead, uh, member of the Legion of the Old Crow. Yeah, uh, much like the Mormon church, I bestow legionnaire membership on the dead. Um, Ooh, now, <laughs> taste that spicy. With the main differences, I will never do that for Hitler, which the Mor- which Mormon church has done multiple times. <laughs> now, uh, Cliff said that the last torpedo he fired did an immediate circular run. Uh, now, a circular run is, as you can imagine, is when a torpedo immediately turns back around and starts charging towards the sub that fired it, which is a problem that everybody knew that the Mark 24 had. Um, it was bad. Uh, so it immediately circled back around and blew up the sub. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, that's ideal. This killed 70 people. He was the only survivor. Jesus. Now, this is the circular run thing was such a common occurrence for the Mark 14 that it happened at least 24 times during the war. Now, the reason why I say 20, at 24? least. Yes. Um, now, two of those times, maybe more, but two that we know for sure ended with people being killed. Uh, the Tullaby being one and the USS Tang being the other. Now, the Tang is generally the one that comes to mind. Like, if you search sub that sank itself, which is something that I did, the Tang will come up. Uh, the reason for that is because the Tang is the most successful sub in U.S. Navy history. Um, yes. It, <laughs> it was so good, it had to kill itself. <laughs> <laughs> it sank 33 Japanese ships and one American one being itself. 
Um, on September 1944, the Tang was sent off on its fifth war patrol into the streets of Formosa, modern-day streets of Taiwan, probably something else if you happen to live in the PRC. Uh, during the patrol, the Tang sank several more enemy ships before her she ran out of luck, and on the morning of October 25th, the Tang fired its last torpedo. Now, I've seen several sources say this is a Mark 18 torpedo rather than Mark 14 torpedo. Well, uh, it, it, the, up in the air on that one. But a small side note here that doesn't actually matter uh, because the Mark 18 was rapidly fielded to make up for how bad of a torpedo the Mark 14 was. Oh, it did it. it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was an electric torpedo and it was a giant buggy piece of shit that managed to produce lethal quantities of hydrogen gas every once in a while nice. when it was fired. Nice. <laughs> Uh, it was also known for being much slower than a Mark 14 because it's electric uh, and all, like if its batteries were very temperamental and sometimes when it was fired, they would just be dead. Um, it also had a horrible problem of circular runs. Uh, and we know this because during testing, one circled back around and nearly killed the submarine that was firing it, the USS Flying Fish, uh, which managed to dodge it in time. Either way. When the Tang fired its last torpedo, it immediately circled back around at it. And as slow as the torpedo was, it was still way faster than a sub could dodge its own shot. After uh, the, the captain who survived and was given a medal of honor for shooting himself down. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I love this shit. <laughs> he was, his medal of honor is technically for like being the captain of the most successful ship or the most successful I feel like sub you in the should US get Navy. a medal of honor for shooting yourself that's fucking funny yeah you're so like, good you killed 33 ships and yourself medal of the, the medal know, of honor should be whatever. bestowed for uh, hilarity at some points <laughs> uh, 20 seconds after firing it he said it blew up the tang so that's a real fast circle damn that's like immediate um, which leads me to believe that like nobody, nobody's really sure what caused it. It could have been a fucked up gyro. It could have been his magnetic uh, exploder was still attached and just immediately triggered it on its on itself. Nobody really knows. Um, right. When it exploded, it killed seventy eight men. Uh, with nine were able to actually use a Momsen lung and uh, get to the surface and survive. Um, and unfortunately for them, they were also captured by the Japanese. The uh, uh, Japanese ship that they were pulled about up. <laughs> yeah, it's good news. You survived. Bad news. You're a Japanese POW. Like, fuck. <laughs> um, the Japanese ship that they were they were pulled up onto also happened to house the uh, the sailors from the ships that they sank the last couple days uh, before they sank themselves. Which led to them being brutally beaten. Um, though credit where credit's due, uh, uh, the crewmen of the Tang said that when they found out that the uh, sailors from the ships that they had sank were the ones beating them, they actually weren't that mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> like fair enough, I don't blame you. It's good, it's fine. Like I'd beat us too. Now, um, by the end of World War II, fifty-two American subs were lost. Uh, and right. it is the highest casualty percentage of any American armed force, uh, they, meaning they lost one in five. Holy shit. Of 16,000 submariners, 3,500 were killed. So, like, that's got a, bad fucking that's, odds. That's bad. Oh, now, that's at, like bad. I said, at least two of those, the Tulabi and the Tang, killed themselves. But 
there's probably a third, which means there's probably a fourth, and so on and so forth. There's evidence suggests a third, the USS Grunion, which is a terrible ship name. It sounds like the like the USS Grundle. When I when I when I, when I hear Grun, <laughs> USS Assneck. Uh, <laughs> The Grunion was lost off the coast of Alaska during the uh, the A2 and Kiska campaigns, uh, and it was just lost. Um, nobody found it until very, very recently. And the while there's no definitive proof, the people that observed the wreckage said that it's almost certain that a malfunctioning Mark 14 circled back around and blew it the fuck up and took all hands on deck. And there's a reason why I said there's probably more. Of 52 lost subs, fully eight of them, nobody has any fucking idea what happened. <laughs> they just gone. They were, uh, they simply vanished and they were chalked up to like a, a sea mine, maybe. Malfunction, lost at sea, nobody really knows. But that's what they had the Grunion listed as too until like 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So uh, there's a very, very good chance that there's... Several more subs on the bottom of probably the Pacific, maybe the Atlantic. Circle death. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, we used to uh, make a joke. Um, I I believe I'm not exactly sure what the joke uh, seeds of it are, wherever it came from. But like whenever we would get in a firefight with the uh, with the Afghan police and our patrols. Uh, not with them, mind you, but like as a team, we called the death blossom because they would just fire blindly in every direction. Uh, and this is truly the real death blossom. It's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> fire it right back into your own face. <laughs> so, uh, you feel any better about being a submarine in World War II now? Uh, I, I feel worse, man. One in five death rate, like, circle death. <laughs> yeah, That's like awful. The Im- <laughs> I'm not sure which is worse, like, statistically, the U-boats or the American subs. But like the U-boat casualty rate was catastrophic too. Um, but yeah, it was. All I know is I don't want to be underwater during a war at any point. Yep. No, <laughs> I, I, I am, I am, uh, I am with you on land. Please, <laughs> I will take my chances where I can walk more than five hundred feet. I don't know if I would want to do my job in World War II either, because the casualty rate for American tank crews is quite high. That's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Those M4, I mean, those Shermans, man, not, uh, you know. They were better than people give them credit for, but also, like, you know, being in a tank, you kind of have to, you live by the tank, you die by the tank. Most of the time when your tank dies, you die with it. <laughs> if, something, yeah. if something goes something through those walls. something about that, I suppose. Yeah, if something goes through the walls of that tank, you're you're going to become one with it at a, at a cellular level. <laughs> um, so, Liam. We yes. do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion, as you're aware, as most people are aware of at this point. Now, if you'd like to ask us a question, Legion, donate to the show. You can email it to me, DM to me through Patreon. You could load it into a submarine, fire a torpedo, and have that torpedo circle back around and have your own question from the Legion delivered right back to you. Yes. Don't worry. Now, today's question is actually different. Um... We talk about depressing things on the show quite a lot, uh, like we just talked about casually of around you know sixteen thousand people dying, um, or thirty five hundred people dying, give or take. Um, so this question is: 
What is something good that is happening in your life right now? <laughs> uh, well, Joe, I actually, let's see, I'm going to the beach tonight. Uh, that'll nice. be fun. Uh, I just got a new job. That's the exciting thing in my life. Uh, I'm a project manager at Company Undisclosed. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's going pretty well, man. I'm For the first time in my life, I'm like relatively financially stable. I'm yeah. like, things are swimming into view, like being able to maybe buy a house and buy an engagement ring. And the first thought isn't like seizing panic. One good thing that's happening for me is like, as most people are aware, you've been hearing me shill them at various points during the life history of this podcast. In the middle of writing a sci-fi series. Um, it's going to be published through Atheon books, hopefully sometime soon. Um, and I'm almost done with it. Uh, like I am on, and uh, granted we're talking manuscript here for the third book. So like, who knows how long the editing process is, but maybe five to 10,000 more words. And I'm done with my manuscript. Uh, and for a while there, like I've never, this is my first series. It's been very, very hard. Uh, and it has been a journey of about five years of work now to finally be done. And like, it feels like, I know I should feel accomplished about more things that I do. Um, well, I'm proud of you. (laughs) <laughs> I I truly feel like I've like I've accomplished something almost almost mind you I'm not I mean Candle Hooligans is a fucking fantastic book well, thank you so I'm excited yeah and hopefully uh you know I've been it's it's been weird because like like I said it's my first not only is it my first fiction it's my first sci-fi it's my first series so like I've been dealing with the same characters and their lives and all of these other things for five years. Like that's longer than most relationships in my life. Yeah. So like, it's, it's very strange. Uh, but like, I'm, I feel very good about it. So like, I can't wait. I hope, I hope it doesn't suck. I guess that's, that's what I should say. (laughs) Uh, but Liam, yes, this is the end end of the show. Please plug your show. Hi. Hi. Well, there's your problem. We are a podcast about engineering disasters. Okay. Some of us are communists. One of us is an anarchist. I'll leave it up to you to decide who's who. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think that's uh, something that I've picked up on while listening to your show. And I think people have picked up on that while listening to this show as well, is that me and Nick definitely lean more into the anarchist side of things. But uh, who cares? I, I mean, like, and so Liam. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for uh, having me. I look forward to eventually worming my way back onto yours. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I got to I got to check the spreadsheet, but uh <laughs> a, but a show about engineers hosted by an engineer would have a fucking spreadsheet. We do have a spreadsheet. We have the, 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 the guest <laughs> spreadsheet. Uh, I yeah. wish I was so organized as to have a spreadsheet, but I do not. Also, slide into the podcast DMs cuz that'll make this a lot easier. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will you. not be wearing clothes. Uh, so oh. until yeah, next man. time, everybody, uh, don't go in it. I feel don't like this is a sub, man. Just this don't is go probably in a sub. The, like, yeah, this is probably go. the third no. fucking time I'm going to end a show with saying don't get in the submarine. No, no, don't do it. Not if you're a Confederate, not if you're an American, not if you're anyone. Yeah, just, just don't, don't do it. Fight your wars on land like God intended. Train good, sub bad. Yes, train good, sub yeah. bad. There we go.